Thank you so much for that prayer, Doug. I appreciate it. Before I begin this morning, I want to make an announcement, uh, something that came about uh, just recently, but uh, and you'll see it if you've looked through the bulletin at all, that uh, Ryan Pennington, um, one of our supported missionaries, he's a Bible translation consultant with Bibles International, contacted me late this week, just said that his family's going to be coming through on Wednesday and asked if he could speak, uh, share a ministry update at our prayer meeting service, and I said, sure, that that would be great. So I just wanted to let you know about that. Uh, So that'll be at 6.30. Um, Ryan and his family are going to take about 30 minutes and share a ministry update. Um, We meet in the ambassador classroom, room number one, um, just that first room on the left, uh, as you go down the stairs next to the elevator. Um, we'll plan on meeting there unless there's a bigger crowd, uh, and then we, um, I'm going to work with Pastor Mike, and we can easily move into the auditorium if we need to. Now, on Wednesday nights, um, the only doors that are open are the east doors, the east doors as you come into the office area. So if you would like to come and hear Ryan and his family Wednesday night at 630, um, come in those east doors, um, and we will tentatively plan on the ambassador classroom and possibly the auditorium. I just wanted to let you know about that. Um, If you have a Bible with you this morning, um, I'd like you to turn to Psalm 89 and verses 5 through 8. If you don't have a Bible with you, you'll easily be able to follow along. It will be on the screen for you. But the psalmist says in Psalm 89 verses 5 through 8, let the heavens... Praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness in the assembly of the holy ones. For who in the skies can be compared to the Lord? Who among the heavenly beings is like the Lord? A God greatly to be feared in the council of the holy ones and awesome above all who are around him. O Lord, God of hosts. Who is mighty as you are, O Lord, with your faithfulness all around you? Well, our first point this morning is a new series. This morning we begin a new series on the attributes of God. I have been sharing with you, this with you for the last couple of months. And so we begin this new series with today's message. It will be 16 weeks long as we look at 15 different attributes of God and this being an introductory message. Now, I want to say right from the beginning, right out of the gate in this series, that I am deeply indebted to godly men who have taught on this subject before. So I want to give credit where credit is due. I always want to make sure that I do that when... I use other people's material or glean from their material. I think of a man like R.C. Sproul who spent most of his ministry really exalting the attributes of God. Um, I think of the attribute we're going to look at next week, the aseity of God. I don't think, at least in my lifetime, there is any preacher who has been more passionate and more um, fervent 
about the aseity of God as R.C. Sproul has been. It's just a guy who gets excited about the attributes of God. I think of men like Steve Lawson. I think of John MacArthur, of John Piper. I have gleaned from all of their materials. And if you've studied this subject before, and I know some of you have, you will know that any small group Bible leader, any pastor who teaches on the attributes of God is indebted to the material of others. In fact, teaching on the attributes of God has a long, deep history in the history of the church. And so it is a good subject, an important subject. What do we mean when we talk about the attributes of God? An attribute refers very simply to a quality or characteristic that belongs to a person. A quality or characteristic of a person, and in this case, in our study, the person of God. These are the qualities, the characteristics of the person of God. So God's attributes define and describe who God is. That's what we will be looking at. God's attributes describe and define who God is. There's a very famous quote related to this, and the reason it has become so well known is simply because it is true. And that is, A.W. Tozer said, famously, what comes into our minds when we think of God is the most important thing about us. And as we go through this series, I want you to think about that. That what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So if someone were to ask you this week, who is God, what would you say? How would you describe him? What would you, or how would you say he is like? So the most important thing about you and the most important thing about me is what comes into our minds when we think about God. And I want to give you a challenge as we go throughout this series. As we go out throughout this series, I want you to notice in the daily marketplace of life that you will go about in your job, in your shopping, whatever it may be, when you talk to people, I want you to look for their view of God. And they when you find out what someone thinks about God, it will tell you a great deal about their worldview. It will tell you a great deal about how they go about life. All kinds of views of God. People say that God is a God of love. And that he loves all religions equally. And in the end, everybody from all religions, it doesn't matter what they are, we will all end up in heaven one day. We will all end up in the same place. All religions are simply different paths to get to heaven. Some people will tell you that a good God would never let anyone go to hell. Some people would tell you That they can't believe in a God who would allow hurricanes or tornadoes or mass shootings. 
There are people who will tell you all kinds of different things about God. And listen to them. Listen very carefully because what they tell you about what they think about God is important. Because the vast majority of people on the face of the earth are serving a God of their own imagination. They've made him up. They've simply made him up to be who they want him to be. Who they would like him to be. But the Bible says we can't do that. We have to take God as he has revealed himself in the pages of scriptures. So throughout the scriptures, one of the most important questions in the Bible is, who is God or what is God like? Or is there anyone like our God? It is a question that's asked in the Pentateuch in the first five books of the Bible. It is a question that's asked in the historical books of the Old Testament. It's a question asked in the wisdom literature. It's a question asked in the prophets. It is a question asked in the New Testament. It is a question asked in the Gospels. It is a question asked in the epistles. Who is like our God? What is our God like? Again, we come back to that passage that I read at the beginning. Psalm 89, verses 5 through 8. The psalmist is asking What is God like? And who is like our God? Verse 5 of chapter 89. Let the heavens, let the heavens, all the universe. God, let the heavens praise your wonders, O Lord. Your faithfulness in the assembly of the holy ones. The holy ones here most likely is a reference to the angelic beings. The angelic beings of heaven. The angelic beings who inhabit all of the universe. Let them praise your wonders and your faithfulness. Verse 6, for who, question, for who in the skies can be compared to the Lord? He's asking us. Who in the skies can be compared to the Lord? Who among the heavenly beings is like the Lord? Even among the cherubim and the seraphim and all the angelic beings of all creation, no one, no one can be compared to the Lord. Verse 7, a God greatly to be feared in the counsel of the holy ones and awesome above all who are around him. Our God correctly, biblically understood is greatly to be feared and awesome, awesome above all. Verse 8, O Lord God of hosts, who is mighty as you are, O Lord, with your faithfulness all around you? Who is as mighty as our God? And the answer is no one. No one. No one. In Exodus chapter 15 and verse 11. Exodus chapter 15 obviously follows Exodus chapter 14. In chapter 14, the Israelites crossed the Red Sea. And in chapter 15, we have the song of Moses and the Israelites after they crossed the Red Sea. Exodus 15, 11. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders, 
Who is like you? Let me tell you something this morning. When the Israelites crossed the Red Sea, with the sea piled on both sides of them, coming through on dry land, and then watching the Egyptian army be drowned in the waters of the Red Sea, they went through a series on the attributes of God in a very short period of time. They knew who God was. They knew who God is. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? I will have a twofold purpose in this series to know who God is biblically and to better understand the biblical term, the fear of the Lord. I think I shared this with you a few weeks back. I want this to be a series on knowing God and fearing God. I want to tell you something respectfully this morning. I don't care what you think about God. And I don't want you to care what I think about God. I want to know what the Bible says. I want to know what the Bible says. And that's what this series is about. What does the Bible say? Who is like our God? But not only do I want us to know who God is, I want us to fear him. That term, the fear of the Lord, is found throughout the scriptures. And it is a very important term. And it is a term that I want us to understand better. I shared this with you a little bit back on Father's Day when we looked at Proverbs chapter 9. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Proverbs 9.10 The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One. Knowledge of God is understanding. That's what this series is about. So what does it mean to fear the Lord? I shared with you at that time that definition that I think is one of the better definitions I've heard from Paul Washer. When he talks about the fear of the Lord, he said he knows of no better statement anywhere than the opening statement of the Lord's prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, be your person. Our Father, our God, who art in heaven, who is seated in the heavens, ruling and reigning over all things, hallowed, revered, worshipped, praised, honored, exalted, be your name. And as we go through these attributes, I want us as a congregation to be absolutely overwhelmed with how humongous and gigantic God is beyond our comprehension and that we understand him as best as we can, excuse me, through what he has revealed to us. So let me briefly just go through the attributes that we are going to be looking at in the next 15 weeks. And I've listed them in the bulletin for you this morning. But first, next week, we'll look at the aseity of God, the fact that God is self-existent. He has life in himself. No one created God. God is self-existent, and he depends on no one. No one. 
We will look at the spirituality of God, that God is a spiritual being. He doesn't have a material body. He is majestic. He is transcendent. We will look at the sovereignty of God. God is sovereign. He rules over all things, all things with absolute control. We will look at the holiness of God, that our God is pure. He is blameless and he is flawless in all of his being, in what he thinks and what he says, what he does in every part of his being. God is holy. We will look at the omnipresence of God, that God is everywhere present. He is boundless. He is present in all places, all at once. We will look at the omniscience of God, that God knows all things, and he knows them perfectly. God knows all things, all the time, and he knows them perfectly. God has never taught anything. We will look at the omnipotence of God, that God is all-powerful. We will look at the immutability of God, that God never changes. There has never been anything added to God. There has never been anything taken away from God. No addition, no subtraction. He is always the same all the time. We will look at the truthfulness of God, that he speaks accurately and authoritatively on every subject. Whatever God says is completely accurate, completely authoritative. I can't say, well, you know, I think I agree with most of what he's saying. But some of it I'm just not sure about. No, when God speaks, he is truthful. We will look at the wisdom of God. That God is out to accomplish his perfect will for his glory, for the universe, and for every one of your lives. And he knows what is best And he knows how to get you to what is best. You may not always understand it. You may not in your flesh always like it. But he is wise. He always knows what is best. We will look at the goodness of God. Our God is a good God. He deals bountifully with all of creation. We will look at the common grace of God. That God brings rain, that God brings sunshine, that God brings crops to the righteous and the unrighteous, to the just and the unjust, because he is so good and he is always so good to us. We will look at the grace of God, that we couldn't live or exist without his grace every single day. He is giving us or demonstrating to us his unmerited favor toward us, but it is especially shown, mostly shown, in his bestowing of salvation on undeserving sinners. We will look at the grace of God. Or excuse me, I just mentioned that. We will look at the love of God. We do serve a God of love. We will seek to understand that accurately and biblically. He constantly demonstrates his selfless love for his children all the time. He does love you. He loves you more than anyone in the universe loves you, and he loves you all the time. We will look at the foreknowledge of God, one of the most misunderstood attributes of God. The foreknowledge of God doesn't just simply mean that God looks into the future and sees what is going to happen. 
It means that he controls the future. He is sovereign over the future. And then finally, we will look at the wrath of God, another very misunderstood attribute of God. It is the punishment of God, the justice or judgment of God, that everything he does in his justice, or excuse me, in his judgment, in his wrath, in his punishment, is righteous. Everything he does is because God loves purity. God loves what is pure, and he hates evil. He despises what is wicked. He despises things that are abusive and violent, and therefore he must bring punishment because he is a God of righteous judgment, of righteous wrath. So those are the attributes that we will be looking at one by one. Our second point this morning is key thoughts on the attributes of God. It is important that we understand some fundamental biblical truths about the attributes of God so that we do not misunderstand them or misapply them. It is very easy easy to misunderstand or misapply some of the attributes of God. God's attributes have sometimes been divided into two categories, his incommunicable attributes and his communicable attributes. You don't necessarily need to remember those terms, but they simply mean incommunicable Incommunicable means that there are certain attributes of God that are unique to him and only to him. And there are some communicable attributes that God has also given in a finite, faint way to those who are his image bearers, to us. For example, an incommunicable attribute would be the immutability of God. God never changes. That can only be said about God. God is omniscient. That can only be said about God. God is the only one who knows all things and knows all things thoroughly and perfectly all the time. Excuse me, but some of his attributes are communicable. We share them, again, in a finite, faint way. We share some of God's attributes because we have been created in the image of God. We love We serve a God of love, and he has given us the ability to love. We love, the Bible tells us, because he first loved us. We love because the love of Christ has been shed abroad in our hearts. So we, certainly not like God, but we have the ability to love God and to love one another. Another communicable attribute would be God's wisdom. We don't have the wisdom in the same way God does, but we do have wisdom because the word of God is our wisdom. In fact, multiple places, especially in the book of Proverbs, we are exhorted to passionately pursue wisdom in our lives. Let me also say that when we talk of the attributes of God, all three persons of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, have all of the attributes perfectly all of the time. Okay, so all three persons of the Trinity have all of the attributes of God perfectly all of the time. So it isn't like God the Father has some, and God the Son has some, and God the Holy Spirit has some. No, they all have them perfectly all the time. 
and God's attributes are eternally permanent. He has always had them and he always will. As I said before, God never loses anything. Nothing is ever added to God. He has had all of these attributes perfectly. They are eternally permanent. And that is important for us because sometimes people want to play off the God of the Old Testament with the God of the New Testament. And you can't do that. They're all God, equally God. The God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. God in all of his attributes has had them perfectly and will for all eternity. God's attributes are not independent of one another, but they are interconnected. I want you to think of the attributes of God as a great tapestry, beautifully woven together. This great tapestry of all these different attributes working together. The only reason we're considering them one by one is for our understanding, to help us but I want you to know that they cross over each other. They are beautifully mixed and mingled together. And each attribute characterizes every other attribute. For example, the wrath of God. The wrath of God is carried out in the goodness of God. The wrath of God is carried out in the love of God. The wrath of God is carried out in the holiness of God. The wrath of God is carried out in the sovereignty of God. Take the holiness of God. I've shared this with you before. I believe the holiness of God is his foundational attribute. But everything about God is holy. His love is holy. His goodness is holy. His grace is holy. His foreknowledge is holy. Everything about God is holy because all of the attributes of God are interconnected to one another. They each help us to understand the other attributes. So they are always all working together. R.C. Sproul famously said that God is a simple being. Now, he is certainly in all of his fullness beyond our understanding But he said, God is a simple being. And what he means by that is this, and I think it's an important concept, is God's attributes are always perfect all the time, and they never change. He's always who he is. God's attributes are always perfect all the time. And the reason God is a simple being is because God never sins. Do you know what makes us, we, we as human beings are complicated beings? Did you know that? We are really complicated. And the reason we're complicated is our sin. It's our sin. There's a little phrase that I heard years ago that has really helped me out. It said, God made life simple. People make it difficult. And it's true. God made life simple. See, I'm not always the same. My feelings are up and my feelings are down. Sometimes I love people, sometimes not so much. Sometimes I do the good things I'm supposed to do, sometimes I don't. Sometimes I say things I should say, sometimes I say things I wish I hadn't said. 
See, the reason our lives are complicated is because of our sin. Do you know why marriages struggle? Because we sin. Do you know why parents and children struggle with each other? Because we sin. God made life simple if we'll simply obey his word and live by his design. But we make it very, very complicated by our sin. Well, let me try to bring this all together. There is one thing I fear in this study. And that is that this will simply be an academic or intellectual study, like a lecture. You know, you'll walk away saying, hey, I know what a seity means now. I'm going to try that on some of my friends, you know, see what they think. No, I, I believe that understanding the attributes of God can be extremely, extremely practical. A correct biblical understanding of God's attributes will affect every area of your Christian life. Every area of your Christian life. You see, an accurate understanding of God is foundational to knowing him, to relating to him. You can't properly relate to a God you don't know who he really is. If you don't understand the attributes of God, you're going to either treat him flippantly or you're always going to be afraid of him. An accurate understanding of God is foundational to serving him. An accurate understanding of God is foundational to being a man of God, to being a woman of God. It is foundational to being a good husband. It is foundational to being a good wife. It is foundational to being a good parent. It is foundational to being a good employee. It is foundational to know how to relate to people and how to let them relate to you. An accurate understanding of God is absolutely essential, absolutely essential for us to truly worship him. And once again, I want in this series for us to have such a huge, gigantic view of God that we can't wait to worship him and exalt him and praise him. The more you understand God biblically and accurately, the more you want to praise him and worship him and love him. Folks, if we can come to church and it's just a meaningless exercise for us, it's a kind of a yawner. We just sit there. If we're not engaging our entire being when we sing, when we read scripture, when we pray, when we listen to the word of God, then we really don't know who God is. If you can come to church and you're not passionate about worship, you don't really understand the attributes of God. You may say that you do, but you don't. You don't. You see, an accurate knowledge of God just keeps us anchored so that we do Everything we do for his glory, 
We want to. We long to know him and obey him. So I want to end where I began. What comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. So if someone were to come up to you this week and say to you, who is God? What would you say? And my prayer is that this series will help all of us to have a greater, more passionate understanding of our glorious, majestic, transcendent God. Let's pray. Father, we long, we long to know you as you have revealed yourself in the Bible. Please, Please, Father, give us a gigantic understanding of who you are and cause us to worship you with white-hot hearts that are passionate to honor you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.